Hey, good morning, everybody. Good. Thank you so much for joining in. I'm Brother Matthew, and welcome to Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And we do we do so according to the charter they were given in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is what I like to model this ministry after, so to speak. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Such a simple way to just gather around, just take take your Bible, grab your notepad and pen, grab your tea, grab your coffee, just sit around the table, and let's just talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so simple. It, the simplicity of the faith is what we're really emphasizing as we do our study through the Gospel of John here. And which we're going to be doing today, uh, part five, we're going to be just doing the last half of John chapter four. So in this chapter, again, is the evangelist's chapter, is what we call it, where the gospel of John is the evangelist's gospel. Uh, chapter four is the evangelist's chapter. As we see Jesus showing us step by step, point by point, how to go and share the gospel, how to debate, how to use apologetics, how to be aware of what's going on, and, and how to use what's uh, what's at your disposal. So we're walking through and just taking a look at these things, and we're going to finish this up and see a few more things here, and then something else that occurs at the end of chapter 4. So please grab your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 4. And while you're turning there, could could someone tell me what are the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study. We've gone over this multiple times so far, but uh, can someone tell me what are the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study? And uh, extra points for whoever can tell me what the verses are that we use to back up the three points of the Christian faith. Interpretation, application, demonstration. Oi, gold star, gold star. That was quick. Okay. Now, what are the verses that we use, that we use to back this up? What verses do we use to explain the three points? <clears throat> so we got interpretation, application, demonstration. Interpretation is the what. The what of the narrative. What is it specifically saying? The narrative of the text. So we're not cherry picking or picking things out of context. Want to read the whole passage back up. Read the whole chapter. What's the whole book about? So we want to understand full, proper context. The, the narrative of the text. And then we back up, go again through it slowly and take a look at the how. Application. How is it specifically being said? the specific words and the pictures and the images and how can I pair what I'm reading with other aspects of the word of God. And then this flows into the third and final point demonstration, which is the why, why is this important? So to learn how to grow spiritually, to grow in the faith, to grow in the knowledge, understanding the word to go live it, speak it, think it, do it. So this is the three points and the three points of Bible study, the Berean method is based off of Acts chapter 17, verse 11. The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. 
And when you break that down, you see the three points of the interpretation, application, demonstration. Now, the what, this goes by 2 Peter, 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures is of any private interpretation. For the scriptures came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as are moved by the Holy Ghost. So in there you see that God gave it. It wasn't just written by man. That the servants of God were moved by God to write what God wanted them to write. And it flat out says it's not open to personal interpretation. No prophecy of the scripture is given to any private interpretation. What it says is what it means, whether you like it or not. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Demonstration of this is just dogmatically saying, but the Bible says. But the Bible says. You always see it where people will um, where people will say, well, I think, I feel, I like, I've read, I interpret. You always hear hear that where it becomes personal in that way. But the Bible says not by private interpretation. Now, the application. Application is the how. Now, is the how... How we go into the depths of this. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. All scripture is given. All scripture is given. The word given is theonoustos, meaning God breathed, given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Thoroughly furnished into all good works. So it's applied to every aspect. Now, as there's only one interpretation, there are multiple applications. It can be applied mentally, physically, spiritually, circumstantially. They can be applied in many different areas. But again, what it says is what it means. Now, why is this so important? Why do I keep going over this in our walkthrough of the Gospel of John? Well, for a big main reason. Because as we're going through the Gospel of John, we're going to be seeing some interesting things about Jesus Christ. So you're going to see the deity claims. And you're going to see the teachings and the doctrines and the, the different works and the miracles and the things that Jesus does that proves his divinity, proves salvation by grace alone, proves once saved, always saved, proves many other aspects and as we go through and we see, look, this is what it flat out says. You then can't deny it. You can't say, well, I think, I feel, I interpret, I've read. That's all irrelevant. That's all irrelevant. That that means utterly nothing. That literally means nothing. But what it says is what it means. So the three points of the Christian faith, the Berean method, Helps keep us, helps keeps us in check doctrinally, theologically. It guards our hearts and minds from deceptions and twistings of false, false doctrines and false teachings, of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and those kinds of things. It protects us and guards us when we hold ourselves emphatically, dogmatically on the Word of God. We're going to be guarded and guided according to the Scriptures. So, with that. 
let's move along. All right, so Gospel of John chapter 4, and we got down to verse 27. But we're going to back up just a little bit, and we're just going to take a look at verse 25 and 26 again. Now, I'm going to ask you folks a question to see how well you were listening yesterday. I know we had some technical issues and whatever yesterday, but it should be all fixed now. Verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ, and when he and when he is come, he will tell us all things. Yeah, it's because I actually connected to the right network this time. <laughs> that was my fault. Okay, let's look at verse 25. So Samaritan woman at the well says, We know that when the Messiah comes, which is called Christ, he'll teach us all things. Okay, folks, what does Messiah mean? What does Christ mean? Can someone tell me what Christ means, what the Messiah means? Can anyone tell me what Messiah Christ means? If we take a look at verse 25. She says, we know that when the Messiah comes, which is called Christ, so the Messiah is the Christ, the Christ is the Messiah. It's a savior, the Christ, the anointed one, the, the promised one, the prophesied one, which is what, according to the word of God, what passage of scripture can you use to prove that the Christ Messiah is someone special, divine? Proving the deity of Jesus Christ. What passage of scripture can we use in this? Because we see in verse 26, Jesus says, says unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. That's going to be another question. So Jesus flat out claims to be the Christ Messiah. Well, if we look at, as, a, as Christopher here says, it's the Christ, the anointed one, uh, the promised one, the prophesied one. The prophesied one. That's key right there. That's key. So if we go back into the Old Testament, look at the prophets. Look at Isaiah. As I talked about yesterday. Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 9.6. Isaiah 53. Micah 5.2. Jeremiah 31.22. All of these passages go to show that the Messiah Christ is God. Almighty God manifested in the flesh. As Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, the one whose ways are of old of everlasting. And that in the Hebrew means the always existing one. So the equivalence, equivalence of Micah 5 2 of saying the, the one whose ways are of old of everlasting, you can literally replace that with Almighty God. The I am. Yahweh. Jehovah. The God of Israel. That's literally what that means. The one whose ways are of old, of everlasting. The always existing one will be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 9, 6. The baby born son given who's, and the government shall be upon his shoulder be called the mighty God, the everlasting father. Almighty God. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 says that the word which made all things, who is God, verse 14 was became flesh and dwelt among us. Isaiah 7:14. 
the one born of the virgin will be called Emmanuel, which means in the Hebrew, God with us. So if we go back to verse 25, this woman says when the Messiah comes, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, who is the Christ, God come down in the flesh. Christ is the spirit of almighty God come down amongst, amongst normal men. So with that, Jesus says, I that speak unto thee am he. He that is speaking with you is the I am. Is what Jesus says here in verse 26. Can someone tell me what does I am mean? What does it mean specifically? Can someone tell me specifically what does I am mean? So when Jesus claims to be the I am, what is he exactly specifically saying? The always existing one. The always existing. That's right. <clears throat> so always existing. That's from everlasting to everlasting. That is from infinity past, infinity present, infinity future. That's what that means. Ego, emi. Yeah, it's a E-G-O-E-I-M-I. Ego, Emi. And that is the that is the Koine Greek that and we see that one again in John chapter eight, where Jesus claims to be the I am ego emi five times in John chapter eight. All right, so let's go back here. Jesus says to her, I that speak unto thee am he. So with this, this is where I, I love to really, really emphasize on these things. And with this, you, you see the absolute absurdity when people say, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus claim to be God. H have you tried reading it? Have you actually tried reading the Bible? You'd see that that's just absolutely absurd. You know, Jesus is God, and it clearly says that he's God. I mean, like, seriously, just read the thing, and you see it. Okay, so Gospel John, Jesus claims to be God. Okay, now I also want to make out another point here. <laughs> yeah, and with that, okay, uh, Wild Blue, Wild Blue. Okay, question for you. Who said in the Bible, who said we can be as God? Now, there's an interesting one as well, folks. If you actually look at the original Hebrew, and the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. New Testament is written in Greek. They go look at the Hebrew of Genesis. Where, where it is stated, ye can be as God. Ye can be as God. In our Bibles, we often read where it, it's, it's interpreted, ye shall be as gods. Plural. Ye shall be as gods. Knowing the difference between good and evil. But rather... In the actual original Hebrew, it actually says singular, ye shall be as God. Ye shall be as God. Singular. So in the garden, Lucifer actually says, we can be the I am. We can be God. We can be a divine one. 
that's actually Luciferianism. That's Satanism. Anyone saying or teaching or emphasizing that we can be like God, we can be God, we can be I am's, we can be little gods, and we can speak things into existence, and we have power to create, they are literally quoting Luciferianism. So, for example, I'm rabbit trailing, but for example, uh, Kenneth Copeland, who is absolutely just horrendous with his blasphemies and heresies. Kenneth Copeland actually states, and I actually have a video clip of him actually saying it. You can actually watch him, hear him say it. Kenneth Copeland says, and I quote, when I read in the Bible where God says, I am, I just smile and say, I am too. End quote. That's horrifying. That is absolutely horrifying. I, I'm, I'm surprised lightning hasn't struck him yet. But I pray he repents of that. I pray he repents of that and believes upon the true gospel. He, he actually blasphemes and says that he is the I am of God. So, yeah. Yeah, it is terrifying. So, anyways. So, we see I am is ego emi. The always existing one. Now, not every single time we read the, the words themselves, I am in the Bible, is it ego emi? That's why we need to actually do the word studies and see what they're exactly saying. But when you see Jesus using the term I am, he's using ego emi. So make sure to do the word studies to know specifically exactly what is being said, when and where and how, so you uh, better understand the scriptures and what's going on. All right. Now, I have a couple of different videos on these kinds of things. And in my playlist, I have a, different, I have a few different ones uh, explaining about the deity claims, about the I am claims, all those kinds of stuff. So make sure you check out the different playlists. Okay, so let's move on. So Jesus just reveals himself to the Samaritan woman at the well. Claiming to be God. Claiming to be the I am, the always existing one. Claiming to be the Christ. Claiming to be the Messiah. And he not only it do, do we see Jesus just saying this, but this backs up the doctrines that Jesus is stating. So we see by the gospel presentation of repentance unto salvation that she is lost in her sin. She needs to repent of her sins and believe the gospel. Repent. And believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1 15, Luke chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. Except ye repent, you shall likewise perish. So we see repentance is the heart state acknowledgement of the sin state. Why are you getting saved? Why are you believing? So we went over that uh, in detail yesterday and in the previous broadcast on John chapter 3. Verse 27, and upon this, his disciples marveled that he talked with the woman. Okay, so we're also going to reiterate how John chapter 4 is the evangelist gospel. Now, in yesterday's broadcast, we went through detail about 
uh, the different aspects that come into evangelism, witnessing, preaching and teaching this awareness, uh, discernment, using that which is around you uh, to, to break the ice, to start conversation, to stay on point. Don't get uh, drawn off. Don't get rabbit trailed. All those kinds of things. Stay on target. When they ask a question, bring it back to the main topic. Now, in evangelism and witnessing, often you're going to be working in groups. Uh, you and your friends or some others. Now, the thing that you need to keep in mind as well, is when you see an individual engaged in a conversation, engaged in witnessing, please be quiet. Don't interject. <clears throat> Don't butt in. Don't throw your two cents in. Unless that, that unless your friend, or unless that the one who is preaching and evangelizing is asking you a question, asking you to get involved, step back and leave them alone. Just pray, pray and pray hard that they be able to reach the person. Is it because often when you're evangelizing, witnessing to someone, it is a lot easier for that individual to be convicted, be engaged. And actually think about this and be involved in the evangelistic conversation on a one-on-one, -on, -one, on a one-on-one. -on -one. Please keep that in mind, that they'll become a little bit more put off. They'll become more shy or whatever when there's more than just the two of them. So keep that in mind. If you're, if two of you or three of you or whatever is walking down and, and the one starts a conversation, the rest of you just go down a bit. Go about 20 feet away and wait, pray. And watch it, it is actually a lot more effective when you just keep yourself disengaged from that conversation leave those two in it so his disciples marveled that he talked with the woman yet no man asked what's what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her they didn't get involved they didn't interject they didn't butt in they stayed out of it they kept a, a proper respectful distance just so that the, these two could talk so we see that here. This is a very important thing because often uh, in this, uh, people want to just throw in their own their own two cents. When when they're witnessing someone's quoting verses, you the verses are popping up in your mind that you want to say too, but you're not the one that's engaged this individual. Leave these two in. Just pray. Just pray. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city. So this woman has, has been overcome with the truth. Jesus reveals himself to her, shows her the gospel, shows him his divinity. What does she do? She forsakes all. She forsakes all. Picks up the cross and follows him because look what happens. He goes her way into the city and saith to the men, Okay, folks, let's see if you're really listening. At the beginning of the Gospel of John, at John chapter 1, into John chapter 2, what is the one thing that I said, keep this in your mind, three words that Jesus said to his disciples, and when, the, when he called his disciples, they went and called others, and they repeated the words that Jesus had said to them, what is it that we see this woman now repeating, which is what Jesus repeated, the disciples repeated, what, what, sh what shows here, what words are used 
come and see. Come and see. The disciples of John the Baptist leave John and go and follow Jesus. And say, well, where are you staying? Uh, what, 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 we want to follow you. And, and uh, what, what we want to know about you. Where, where do you dwell? And Jesus says, come and see. He calls his disciples and they go and call others. And they say, well, who is he? And they say, come and see. Repeating the words, come and see. We see it again, verse 29. This woman says to the men, come and see. Come and see a man which told me all things. He has all the answers. He has all the understanding. He has all the wisdom. He has all the knowledge. He has all the ability. He has all the redemption. He has all the salvation. He has everything. He knows everything, sees everything because he's God. A man that knows everything. God manifested in the flesh, the Christ Messiah, the I am. Come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Now, the reason why I emphasize so much on the meaning of Christ is because so many people don't understand the actual meaning of that word. So many people use the term Christ like it's Jesus's last name. You know, Jesus Christ. It's not his first and last name. Christ is a title. It's a, it's a description that explains who he is, what he is. He is the Christ. Thou art the Christ. And we are sure of it. So whenever you're talking to people and you ask them, do you believe in Jesus Christ? They say, oh, yeah, for sure. Um. You want to then clarify and make sure they understand that they know what Christ means. Because so many people say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ, but Jesus isn't God. Um, you realize you just contradicted yourself. Jesus Christ is not God. You're literally saying the almighty God Jesus is not God. That the Lord God, Jesus Christ, is not God. Uh, that, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't compute. So we want to make sure people understand this. Now, why? Why is this really important? Please skip ahead to John chapter 8. Now, I've talked about this before many times, but this must be talked about again. John chapter 8, verse 24. John chapter 8, verse 24. Jesus is talking with the Samaritan, not the Samaritan, with the Pharisees. Jesus is talking with the, with the, wow, I'm dyslexic today. I do have dyslexia. I get my words wixed up. Okay, so John 8, 24. I said, therefore, unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am, if you believe not that I am, John 8.24, the I am in John 8.24 is ego emi, meaning the always existing one, almighty God. So if you believe not that I'm the almighty God, the always existing one, ye shall die in your sins. Do you see that? John 8.24, do you see that? I, I hope you have your Bible open and you're looking at that. Jesus flat out says, right here, John 8.24. 
if you do not believe that I am the I am, that I am the almighty God, the mighty God, everlasting Father, the always existing one, the one whose ways are of old, of everlasting God with us, the word which is God that became flesh and dwelt among us. Colossians 2, 9, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Acts 20, 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. 1 John 5, 20, Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. If you do not believe that, you will die in your sins. So therefore, according to Jesus himself, his own words, Jesus flat out says that belief in the divinity of Jesus, believing that Jesus is God, is a mandatory requirement for salvation. Do you see that? Because if you don't believe that, you shall die in your sins. So that means you could believe in that Jesus came, was born of a virgin, preached and, and taught and was sinless and did all the miracles. And he, and he went to the cross. He shed his blood and died, was buried, rose again the third day. You could believe all of that and still go to hell if you don't believe that Jesus is God. The divinity of Jesus Christ is a salvationary doctrine. It affects your salvation. If you don't believe in that, you're not saved. Jesus said that. It's not my words. It's not what I think. It's not my opinion. It's not my personal interpretation. That's what that flat out says. That's how serious that is. Now, I'm going to ask you folks a question. Could you please name for me just one? One other belief system. One other religion, one other belief system in the entire world that actually believes that Jesus, specifically, is almighty God manifested in the flesh. Could you please name for me just one? That Jesus is almighty God himself manifested in the flesh. As Isaiah 9, 6, the mighty God, everlasting Father. Could you name for me one other belief system that believes that Jesus himself is almighty God manifested in the flesh? There's none. That's right. There's none. There's none. Now, isn't that curious? <clears throat> isn't that interesting? There's none. None other. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. There is only one way, one truth, one life. There's only one way of salvation. There's only one way of born-again Christianity, true born-again gospel. All other gospels are False Gospels. <clears throat> the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. They reduce his sovereignty and they make him just a created being that Jesus is just Michael the Archangel. The Mormons believe that Jesus is just some lesser spirit brother of Lucifer, born out of God, having endless celestial sex with goddesses, 
you could become the god of your own planet if you wear your magic linen underwear. And the Seventh-day Adventists, they actually reduce the sovereignty of Jesus. They do not believe that Jesus is Almighty God. And plus, they have to help Jesus save you because you have to maintain to keep your salvation by keeping of law and commandments. And then you have to earn your salvation by works at the Great White Throne. Uh, but they reduce the sovereignty of Jesus as well. They say he's the son of God, but he's not God. The Roman Catholics reduce the sovereignty of Jesus, make him less than almighty God himself, and that he needs his mother to help you, and, and uh, you have to assist him to save you, and you got to atone for your own sins because he's incompetent, because he, he's a little baby and needs his mommy. So they reduce the sovereignty as well. The Muslims make Jesus a lesser prophet, less than Muhammad. The Hindus make him a lesser little demigod or maybe just a holy man. The Buddhists make him just some holy man. And on and on and on and on we go. But Jesus says, I am God. I am the I am. I am the Christ, which is the mighty God, everlasting Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the Father, our one. How many times does Jesus need to say this, need to prove this, need to show this? How many times does he need to go over this before people would just accept that that's what he says? So therefore, you see, as Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 to 9, but though we are an angel from heaven, should preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let them be accursed. As I said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let them be accursed. The gospel that has been preached to us from the apostles who were taught by Jesus himself, God manifested in the flesh, says Jesus is God. And if you do not believe that Jesus is God, period. Not less than, not like God. No, he is God, manifested in the flesh. Jesus says, if you do not believe that, you will die in your sins. <clears throat> so this woman in verse 29, John chapter 4, verse 29, says, come and see the Christ. Come and see God. Well, how can I see God? How can I know God? You can see God and know God by seeing and knowing Jesus. Simple as that. The closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to that which God made, God gave, God did, God worked so that we could know him. No man comes unto the Father but by me. But God is spirit. No man hath seen God at any time and lived. Because God is spirit. God is holy, pure, and righteous. In him is no sin. He did no sin. He knew no sin. And sin cannot be in his presence. So therefore, God made a way so we could come to him, so we could behold him, so that we could speak to him, so we could fellowship with him while we are in this life. While we're in this life, the only way we can get to God is through the veil covering that the body fashioned by God for himself, God's own body. The veil covering, like the burning bush, which was the veil covering of God for Moses. The pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, the Shekinah glory cloud, the body of Jesus is the veil covering. That, that way that we can get to God, we can come to God through that which God made for us. That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. 
Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. Do you believe that? So I talk about this. I emphasize this. The question then must be asked. Do you believe that? Do you personally accept this as absolute truth? When you called upon the Lord for salvation. Did you pray believing this? That Jesus is God. Or are you just coming to the understanding, the realization now? Or is it just becoming clear recently? Take a moment and call upon the Lord and tell him, Dear Lord Jesus, I accept you as my God and Savior. Dear Lord Jesus, I accept you as my God and Savior. Please forgive me my sins and save me. Calling upon a Jesus that is not God, you're calling upon a false Jesus. If your Jesus is not the God of Scripture, as the Bible flat out says, and your Jesus is a false Jesus, your God is a false God. A God that is not the God of all the word of God is not a true God, but is a devil masquerading as God. The God of Scripture fashioned a body for himself. The Spirit of God came upon Mary, fashioned a body for himself, and in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And Jesus says, if you're looking at me, you're looking at the Father. I and the Father are one. I am the I am. And if you do not believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, Elijah, and Samuel, the God of Deborah, Esther, Ruth, the God of, of Israel, came down as the Messiah, the Christ of Israel, to save his people from their sins. Isaiah chapter 53. The woman believes this, and we see this. Is not this the Christ? She goes right to the jugular on this. She goes right to the point. She preaches salvation by grace through faith, by belief alone in the Lord God Jesus Christ alone. Come and see, repeating the words of Jesus. Is not this the Christ, the mighty God? Isaiah 9, 6. Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Now in this as well, we see another aspect of evangelism, which is sometimes sacrifices must be made. When you see that there's an important point going on, when you have an opportunity to witness, nothing else is important. Nothing else is important. If you have an opportunity to preach the gospel, an opportunity to witness to someone, an opportunity to hand out tracts and, and witness for the Lord, literally everything else is secondary. If someone contacts you and wants to know more about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and wants to know more about the word of God, Everything else is secondary and is not important right now. No one else is important right now. This soul, this individual, this person is important right now. I do not have enough time to get involved in these other things. I need to stay on point. I need to keep my mind on this. The singular, singularness of, of mindset and the things of the Lord. 
The Lord takes the primary focus. The Lord takes the primary goal, the primary concentration of all of this. I have meat to eat, to eat that ye know not of. Therefore, said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him not to eat? But Jesus wasn't speaking of physical. He's talking about spiritual. Jesus says that my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. What is the will of God? Please turn over to John chapter 6 for a moment. John chapter 6. Oh, drop my bookmark. Okay, so John chapter 6. And we want verses 28 to 29. John chapter 6, verses 28 to 29. Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto him, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. What is the work of God? To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. To cause others to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all it is. It's not about going to church and singing the hymns and doing all the protocols and traditions and rituals and all that stuff. No, it's just simply to have faith in Jesus Christ. Verses 39 and 40. John chapter 6, verses 39 and 40. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. So what is the will of God? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that simple. The will of God is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of God is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, I got a, a couple comments here. I'm going to debate with Gene Kim. Let's regarding that. How will a person break curses? Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is more powerful than the name, the spirit, and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. As, as one, make sure that individual is born again, saved according to the word of God. And that person then goes into prayer and fasting. As Jesus says, some of these devils come not out, but by prayer and fasting. So we see that prayer and fasting is important. Then you hold yourself to the word of God. It's simply just what it says is what it means. Then you plead the Lord to help you, to send deliverance and, and help and guidance and protection, to set a hedge of protection about you. Then the Lord will deliver. Sometimes it takes a while for the deliverance to come, as we see by Daniel chapter 10. But Daniel prayed earnestly for 21 days until the deliverance finally came because the devils were blockading his prayers. And the angel says, and while I was coming, the princes of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. And I stayed there, fought with them until Michael came and fought with me against the kings of Persia. And now I am here for you. So we see time must be given into it, depending on how powerful that is. Uh, yeah, so prayer and fast. Yes, exactly. Person is saved. Doesn't that mean that generational curses are gone? Yes. When you get born again saved, the curses, spells, and, and darkness that could be placed upon you before you were saved, all that is washed away. All sins shall be forgiven them to the sons of men, and blasphemies wheresoever they shall blaspheme shall be forgiven them. Is what Jesus says. All of our sins are forgiven. First John 1 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not some, all. All unrighteousness. 
is forgiven and washed away. May your sins be as scarlet, they should be washed whiter than snow, and though they be red like crimson, they should be washed white like wool. Hebrews 8.12, and I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. God washes it all away, God forgives all of it, and then God chooses to forget your sins and, and all that. So don't need to worry about that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be delivered. All right, so... Um, well, then you just pray over them. You give it to the Lord. Give give it to the Lord that he now owns all that which is in your ownership. Give him your home. Give him your life. Give him all your substance and that you are just a caretaker of it. Die to self. Forsake all. Follow him. Give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, this is your house. This is your property. These are your creatures. Lord, you deliver. Would you look after? Would you protect? Lord, it's not mine. I give it to you. I just, I'm just now the caretaker of it. Watch God work. Ask him to cleanse. All right, so let's continue. Now, so the woman says, come and see a man that, that told me all things, uh, whatsoever I did, is not this the Christ? And the disciples now see this, they're hearing this. They are witnesses to this. Witnessing the power of Jesus Christ over individuals. Breaking barriers, as we talked about how the Samaritans were technically not supposed to have anything to do with the Jews, and the Jews are not supposed to have anything to do with the Samaritans. Jesus is a Jew of Israel. His disciples, Jews of Israel, are now witnessing, evangelizing, talking with, fellowshipping with the Samaritans. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female. All are one in Christ. And like I said yesterday, color, language, nationality, irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. Someone trying to bring in surface areas, surface things, surface judgments. They are judging after the outward appearance. They are not judging righteous judgment. So what does Jesus say in verse 34? My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. What is the will of God? That all would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 35. Say not ye that there are four months and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The wheat is whited and ready to harvest. Lift up your eyes. It's all ready for harvest. But also you'll note something. If you look at the word here, look at verse 35. Look at verse 35. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already. They are white already. It's ready already. It's already now already. So so when when should we when should we get to work? Now. It's ready now. So the mission field is your own home, your circle of influence. The moment you step out your door, you're stepping into the mission field. All born again Christians are missionaries of sorts. You are a missionary to your area, to your family, your friends, your co-workers, your classmates, your work life, home life, social life, private life, that, that you're to witness of Christ everywhere and anywhere you possibly can. You are always on the job. You are always on the mission field. You are never off work. You are never off work. So consider that. Consider that. 
You're not just a Christian when you have a Bible in your hands. You're supposed to be a walking Bible. You may be the only Bible some people ever read. To always be a witness, always be ready to witness. Look at verse 36. And he that reapeth receiveth wages. He that reapeth receiveth wages. What does he mean by that? Well, we are laboring in the work of Christ, working in the harvest, reaping in the wheat. Rewards are given for that. The Lord rewards the saints that do his work. Every time you hand out a track, every time you speak of Christ, every time you quote a Bible verse in, in public, every time you witness, every time you help, every time you do something in the name of the Lord for the honor of the Lord, he rewards that. So are we doing this for rewards? No. We are doing this because we love Christ and want people to get saved. We do this because we want the saints to be strengthened and we want the lost to come to Christ. I, I honestly don't care about the rewards. I don't deserve rewards. There is not one single Christian that has ever been that deserves rewards. And I'll challenge anyone on that. Could you please show me anyone who deserves rewards? Think about that. Because we can't go five minutes without sinning by way of thought, word, and action. Show me a Christian who, who, who is perfectly holy, perfectly sinless, never makes mistakes, never grieves the Lord, never you know, dishonors the Lord, is never rebellious, is never stubborn, who, who never is apathetic about the faith at some point. Show me a Christian that deserves rewards. Rather, rather we're, we shouldn't focus on the service of Christ because we're going to get rewards. No, no, that's not why we're doing it. Like the prosperity gospel tries to teach it. <clears throat> that, that God will make you healthy, wealthy, rich, and powerful. You're going to have your best life now. I don't know what Bible you're reading, Joel Osteen and prosperity preachers, because I don't find that anywhere in the Bible. Um, Second Opinions chapter 3 doesn't exist. The Bible says in this life you shall have tribulations. You shall have trials and temptations. They will hate you because of me. You'll be persecuted for my name's sake. They'll haul you off to the judgment seats. They'll, they'll cast you into prisons and they'll hate you. And they'll think them doing they'll think they're doing God's service by killing you. Nowhere does it say you'll have your best life now. Our rewards are to do the will of God. It is my reward that, that I have been called of God to do the work of God, which is what? Point people to Christ. That's it. That's it. Quote, read, memorize, repeat the word of God so that, so that the Holy Spirit will convict. The Holy Spirit will do the work. The Holy Spirit will draw them. The Holy Spirit will teach them. The Holy Spirit will seal them and save them and wash them clean. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. The Holy Spirit does it all, not me. I'm just on the sideline just quoting the words, and the Holy Spirit does all the work. As you see here, look what it says. He th and he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. 
And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. I sent you to reap where you bestowed no labor. Think about this one for a moment. Think about this one for a moment. Oh, please don't praise me. Please don't praise me. I don't deserve that. Uh, I understand what you mean, but I, I don't like being praised in this. Okay, let's look at this. Ye bestowed no labor. Well, well, who's the one laboring? Well, we labor in the name of Jesus Christ in the preaching and teaching and evangelizing and witnessing. But the laboring of the context here of that which does the working of uh, growing the seed. See, we, we take the seed, the sower and the reaper. Okay, the sowing and reaping. How do you sow? Well, if you sow 50 bucks. No, 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 no. It's not money. It's not money. You're never going to find a PayPal me link and a cash me link at, at the app or anything. So you're not going to hear sowing seeds of money and having your best life. You're not going to hear any of that garbage. It's not the sowing, as the Bible flat out says, the seed is the word of God. The Bible flat out says that the seed is the word of God. So sowing the word of God. How do you sow the word of God? Preaching it, teaching it, witnessing it, proclaiming it, repeating it, quoting it, sowing the word of God on, on all the social media platforms with your coworkers and friends and family, handed out gospel tracts, all that. That's how you sow the word of God. That's that's the you have the, the bag of seed and you take a handful of the seeds and you throw the seeds across the field and they land. So we're just take it. We don't just take one little seed. Okay, I'm going to want to put this seed here. And I want this seed here. No, take a handful of it and just throw it. That's what we do. The Holy Spirit now is the one that directs the seeds. The Holy Spirit now plants the seeds. The Holy Spirit waters the seeds. The Holy Spirit is the light and the water and the nutrients for the seeds. The Holy Spirit germinates the seeds and grows the seeds. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one that now grows the plants and, and causes it to flourish and whiten and be ready for harvest. And then we come along and reap it. We have nothing to do with the whole planting, germinating, growing, and getting it ready. We have nothing to do with that. All we do is throw the word of God and then reap. And, and then when the person says, I believe, we then guide them to Christ. That's it. I sent you to reap wherein ye bestowed no labor. So in that, that actually is quite liberating, actually. That's actually quite freeing and liberating. It's not my responsibility to convict people. I just quote the word of God. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. It's not my responsibility to save people. That's the spirit of God's job. It's just my job to quote the word of God. It's not my responsibility to do any of the other stuff other than just quote the word of God and then show them how to be saved. That's it. Uh, the jailer falls at the feet of Paul says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. 
If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth confession is made known, with the heart men believe unto righteousness. Call upon the Lord, tell him you believe. Tell him you accept him as your God and Savior and ask him to forgive you of your sins and save you. It's that simple. Do you believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross of your sins, that you're a sinner and you need to be saved, and that he shed his blood and died, was buried, rose again the third day according to the scriptures? Yes, I believe that. Then tell him. It's that simple. It's that simple. Ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman. Now, if we actually back up a little bit and take a look at this Samaritan woman. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidest thou truly. So she has a rather colorful testimony. Uh, her sins and her life and her background, all these things. And she said, she went and told people, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? And they believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified he told me all that ever I did. So what do we see her doing? Using her testimony. The Apostle Paul used his testimony. It's actually written in the word of God for all eternity. The testimony of the Apostle Paul. He actually told people his testimony of how he used to be a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a doctor of the law who went about and tortured and butchered and killed Christians and destroyed churches, blasphemed Jesus Christ and opposed and persecuted the saints. He used his testimony to help people see how Jesus Christ saved him, what he saved him out of, and how Jesus Christ changed him. Your testimony is so powerful, so powerful. Use it. Use your testimony because nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can debate you your testimony. No one can deny your experiences, what you saw, what you heard, where, where you were, what went on, what was going on, and how Christ called you, what he called you out of, and how he changed you. Nobody can take that away from you. Your testimony is so powerful, and it's personal, and it's convicting, and it also gives hope to other people who might be struggling with what you struggled with. As many of you have seen my personal testimony on, on my YouTube channel here, if some of you have read it, some of you have seen the different ones I did, that my, an interview with Doreen Virtue, another one uh, with another fella, and then I did a, a, a full explanation uh, uh, of my background, my history. A lot of people have been helped by that. A lot of people have contacted me saying, I read your testimony, I saw your testimony, and I have questions, and they want to know. People have gotten saved by that. Uh, people get saved from personal testimony. People how many people got saved by the testimony of the Apostle Paul? Testimonies are powerful. I know many other people who actually got saved by other people's testimonies. It's, it's, they are testaments of the power of God. They're testaments of the power of God of bringing hope and redemption, bringing life and salvation, that God is willing to forgive and forget your sins. 
There are so many who have given their testimonies that, that have really helped. One of my favorites to listen to. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. How many people here know a fellow by the name of Willie Mullen? Willie Mullen, an old Irish preacher. He used to be a gangster way back in the day. He had committed horrible, horrible crimes over in Ireland. And, and how it talks about how the Lord called him and saved him. And he gives his life testimony. It's so powerful. It, it has stuck with me all my life. It is one of one of my favorite testimonies to listen to. Tons and tons of people, scores of people have been encouraged and helped and strengthened and even saved from the testimony of Willie Mullen. Testimonies of people that were getting saved out of the occult, getting saved out of paganism and heathenry and other world religions and whatnot. They talk about what they used to be and how the Lord Jesus convicts other people. Helps them see the lies and the errors and the, and the heresies and the blasphemies of those false beliefs. And the Lord reveals it and convicts them and enlightens them and they get saved. Use your testimony. Believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified he told me all that ever I did. The Lord forgave you. The Lord washed you clean. The Lord changed you. It matters what the Lord thinks. It doesn't matter what other people think. When you give your test, we say, well, I, I don't really want it because people might mock me. So, like they mocked Christ, like they mocked the disciples, like they mocked everyone else that ever believed in the Lord. They, they, well, they might, they might judge me for my testimony. God doesn't. God doesn't. Hebrews 8.12. And I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. God chooses to forgive and forget all of your sins. If God has chosen to forgive and forget your sins and you are never going to be judged for your sins then why does it matter what other people think about your testimony? Rather, show them what God has chosen to forgive and forget. What God has called you out and saved you from. Show them the sheer depth of the mercy and grace of God. Don't ever be afraid to use your testimony. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans were come to him, they besought him, Jesus. They besought Jesus that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. But, but the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Salvation is only of the Jews. Um, and many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Only the Jews can be saved. Is that why the Bible says the 120,000 Ninevites got saved, the emperor of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, got saved, and wrote Daniel chapter 4, and tons 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 of other Gentiles get saved, and even the Samaritans here. And then we see other Gentiles getting saved by the preaching of the Apostle Paul and Peter and tons of others. And, and if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And then how you got saved by the, by, by the word of God. So, um, yeah, just saying. People say only the Jews can be saved. They need to actually read the Bible. 
But let's look at like something here. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans were come to uh, come unto him, they besought him, begged him, pleaded him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two whole days. Now the other aspect here of evangelism, of ministering and 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 ministry and preaching and teaching uh, this kind of stuff. Now, if we take a look at this, giving yourself to the work, committing time, committing time to this, pour, pouring effort into this, that you, you need to really pour out your all into, into the ministry. You're not going into the ministry and then just doing a half effort, you know, just, you know, just kind of, being apathetic about it. No, you're pouring your all out. And when you see that it's having an effect and that it's really changing people, you're going to commit yourself to working in that, pouring your all into that as long as it, as it deems necessary. As the Lord calls you, so do. The Lord says, go over here, do this, then do that. The Lord says, speak to these people, spend time here, then do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, Mullen. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, Willie Mullen. Yeah, M-U-L-L-A-N. Yeah, thank you. All right, so. Now, and he abode there two days, and many more believed. A revival, a revival broke out in Samaria. Look at this. Where the Jews were ignoring Jesus, he, he then goes, to those who have ears to hear. Let, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Those who have ears to hear. The Samaritans had ears to hear. They were listening and they believed. Many more believed. Look at verse, verse 41. Many more believed because of what? Now we're going to see who has their Bibles open. Let's look at verse 41. What did they believe in verse 41? They believed because of what? What does it say? Can someone tell me? What does it say? Verse 41. Many believe because of what? Because of why? Because of the miracles? No. Because his own personal physical presence? No. Because of what? Because of his message. Because of his own word. Now, now, now pay attention specifically. Because of whose word? His. His word. His words. Your own words, my own words, are not going to convict people. What I say what I think, what I feel, my opinions, my ability to string a phrase, my phraseology, my vocabulary is irrelevant. Does nothing. My words will not convict the persons. Only the word of God convicts of sin. If you're up there preaching and teaching and evangelizing and all that stuff, and you're not quoting much of the word of God, you're not going to get much of power. You're not going to get back much in return. Plus, also, you're going to notice that where 
where the word of God is limited, the world flourishes. But where the word of God is magnified, there's going to be great power of God and great supernatural movings. You're going to see great conviction, great revival, and lots of people being convicted and coming to the truth. Look at this. Many more believed because of his own word, because of his own word, and said unto the woman, <clears throat> now we believe not because of thy saying. See, like just like I said, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves. We have heard him ourselves. We've seen it ourselves. We read it ourselves. This is also why I'm always telling you, open your Bible, turn here, look at it, see it yourself. True conviction comes when you see it yourself, hear it yourself, read it yourself. If you ever come across a preacher or someone who says, now close your Bible and just listen, or something along those lines, leave. Leave. Get up and leave. You ever come across preachers who preach and they hardly ever quote scripture? Leave. Get up. Leave. The word of God is our teacher, not men. The word of God is our charter, our creed, not man's opinions. The word of God is our doctrine, our theology, not the catechisms and commentaries. The word of God is our power and our everything. Sola Scriptura. And if people aren't pointing you to the word of God saying, look at what it says, believe what it says, look what it says here. When you pair this with this and you see this, rightly dividing the word of truth, they're not doing that. Get up, get out. Don't listen to people who won't use the word of God properly. We have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. That's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. We trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. We trust in the living God which is the Savior of all men. We have heard him ourselves and we know. Look at this. We know. To know. Here's something else. Uh, another question for you folks. Can you please name for me. Just one. Just one other belief system. One other religion. One other belief system. That teaches you. That you can have. 100% assurance. That when you die, you're going directly to the presence of God in heaven. Could you name for me one other belief system that teaches 100% assurance? Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know. That ye may know, that's assurance, that's absolute assurance, that you know 100% sure that if you die, you're going to be with the Lord. That ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. How can you know 
100% sure, beyond shadow of a doubt, that if I was to drop dead right now, I'd be in the presence of God. Have you believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus the Christ, the mighty God manifest in the flesh by uh, uh, of his salvation as he teaches in his word, uh, salvation by grace through faith, by belief alone, that it's not by works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. <laughs> now, Buddhism doesn't even offer that. Hey, they, they, they have no idea what they're coming back as. They have no idea about anything. Hey, you might come back as a cockroach. You might be coming back as a flea. You might come back as a plant. Who knows? They have no idea. They have no knowledge, no assurance, no understanding. They have no ability, no confidence in this. They, have, they don't know. They hope. They say, I hope I will. I think I might. They have no absolute assurance. There is not one single other belief system in the entire world that teaches you 100% assurance. Except true born-again Christianity. True born-again Christianity. See this? And we know that this is indeed the Christ. To know who Jesus is beyond shadow of a doubt, to believe on him, believe on the Lord Jesus, the Christ, and thou shalt be saved. This is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now after two days, he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. And this is where Muslims go crazy and other people go crazy. See, Jesus is saying he's a prophet. No, no, no. You're missing the point as moses taught about the messiah that would come the messiah would come prophet priest and king okay now what does he mean by that prophet priest and king come as a prophet as one who comes teaching the word of god thus saith the lord that's what that means coming as priest as the bible says he is our high priest the the leader of all aspects of worship and king he's the king of kings the lord of lords the god above all gods that's what that means now what he means by jesus quoting here the prophet of no honor in his own country what that means is going to your own home and witnessing to your to your family and your relatives and the people who know you the best are the hardest to witness to. They know everything about you. They know your weaknesses. They know your strengths. They know your background. They know everything about you. It's it's exceptionally hard and difficult to witness to people who know your whole life. That's what that means. Have no honor. No, no proper respect in this way because people will never see you to as 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 what you are that's that's what that means it's not saying jesus is just a prophet that that's that's dumb that's not what that's saying all right verse 45 then when he was coming to galilee the galileans received him having seen all the things that he did at jerusalem at the feast for they also went unto the feast so jesus came again into cana of galilee where he had made the water wine and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at capernaum okay so Jesus travels around and he comes into Galilee. The Galileans, they, they are very 
well versed in what Jesus is saying and doing. They're studying him. They're paying attention to him. They're watching him. They're listening to him. They're eager to receive him. It shows, it shows again, how we see here in evangelism, you're going to come across different types of areas. Some areas where you're going to have to break social barriers. Hey, just saying. God is the God of all the world and no one is beyond the grace of God. And that God doesn't see color. He doesn't see language. He doesn't see nationality. He sees the hearts and souls of men and women. And that's all that God cares about. So, and that's what only thing we should care about as well. All people are equal in the eyes of God. So you need to break social barriers. You're going to need to cross the social barriers with all the boldness and the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to reach their hearts and souls. And some areas are going to be very hard. You're going to come, a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Evangelism in certain areas, you're going to come across very hard people. People who are shut down, not listening, not wanting it. And you'll have better luck converting them by banging your head on a brick wall. You're not going to get anywhere. And you're going to come, come across some areas where it, you're just going to be accepted. And people are going to listen. They're going to come flocking to you and listening. Hang on. You're everywhere. They're going to love this. And that's going to be really encouraging when that happens. But is to be ready for this. To be ready that it doesn't matter. You're going to preach the gospel wherever the Lord calls you to go. Whether it's somewhere where people will believe eventually. They may debate you on this, but they'll believe eventually. Or people that won't listen to you at all. Or people that will accept you right off the bat. And also, you're going to, you might come across situations People come to ask you to help them with something more than just the message. You see, we bring people more than just words. We're bringing them the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus is with us. His spirit dwells in the heart, lives in the heart of every believer. And he stands by our side and surrounds us with his spirit, surrounds us with his power. And he says, I give you authority to go in my name and preach the gospel to every creature, healing the sick and casting out devils. This is what Jesus says. We bring them the power of the kingdom of God. The full power of the word of God. What does it say? So when he heard, when this nobleman who, whose son was sick at Capernaum, when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea to Galilee, he, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Verse 48, then Jesus said unto him, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The only reason, you just want to see miracles. You just want to see manifestations of power. You're not listening to the words. Or do you actually believe the words? You see, when people come and ask you to pray and ask you to help and ask you to bless them in the name of the Lord, you want to make sure that you're blessing that which is of God in this way. They, they are eager. They're wanting it. They're accepting it. Because the Bible says we cannot bless those who preach and teach and hold and proclaim false gospels. That's what it flat out says. If you look at Second John, look at Second John chapter 1. 2 John, verses 10 to 11. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, to bless them in the name of God. 
For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. God is not going to bless that which fights against him, that which opposes him. So what if Lana says, look at it, 2 John verses 10 to 11. Read it. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, and you can't bless him. So if you look at what Jesus did here with this nobleman, as we are to discern the spirits, test the spirits to see if they are of God. How do you test the spirits? You test them by the word of God. You test them by the doctrine of scripture. Jesus says, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word. See that? The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. The reason we see here Jesus gives the blessing to the man is because he proved that he believed. You can't just lay hands on anyone and anything. The Bible says lay hands suddenly on no man. Not to go about just blessing, laying hands on just anything and everything. We don't do that. You're not supposed to do that because God is not going to bless that which is unrepentant. He's not going to bless pagans and heathens and show, show blessing unto those who are living in sin and godlessness. And those in unbelief and atheism and, and occult, witchcraft, that kind of stuff. God is not going to work and bless that which is unwilling to believe. We can only bless that which is willing to believe, wanting to believe, or does believe. Because miracles are for two things. Miracles are for two things specifically. To encourage and exhort the saints and to guide people to Christ. For example, Peter and John went to pray. And there's a lame man sitting on the steps of the temple who, was, who had been lame for all his life. And Peter and John walk up to him, and the guy asks an alms, asks for some money. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man immediately, leaping up, went walking and leaping and praising God. And we see later on in that chapter how he became a defender of the faith. He believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason he got healed is because he believed. The gospel that Peter and John were preaching. Jesus healed those who believed in him and they became followers of him. Keep that in mind. And Jesus said that in verse 50, Jesus said that in him, go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him. He didn't believe because he saw the miracle. He believed in the very words of God. What does it say? What did Jesus say? See, the nobleman, he was standing before Jesus, heard Jesus say it. He just believed the words. He didn't have to see anything. Some people, though, like Thomas, like doubting Thomas, might take a little bit more. They want to believe. There's a part of them that, that, that a little bit of doubt that they're not sure. They need that just that last little bit to push them over the edge. 
uh, where, where Thomas says, I, except I see the nail prints in his hands and the spear hole in his side, I will not believe. And then Jesus appears before him and says, Thomas, behold my hands and my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And worships him. Some might need to see. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. But that doesn't mean that God is not going to show signs and, and, and such unto some. But again, that's up to the Lord's dealing. He'll guide you in that. Don't worry about it. Just walk with the Lord. He'll show you what to do in the moment. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus saith in him, thy son liveth, and himself believed in his whole house. This confirmed it for him. Beyond doubt, such a confirmation that this is true. This is so true. Not, and not only did he get saved, but look what it says, and his whole house. That's Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And the keeper of the prison, verse 27, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open and drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thine house. And thine house. Now, what does it mean, and thine house? And his whole house believed. This is where the Lord will work through an individual where if, say, the, the, the husband or the wife or the one, one person in the home, that when they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they are born again saved, the Spirit of God will work through that individual and will bless whatever that person is doing and wherever that person is. It's the Joseph effect, is what I like to call it, the Joseph effect, where Egypt was blessed of God because of Joseph. Joseph was Joseph feared God, loved the Lord, was a servant of the Lord, a prophet of God, who helped Egypt and taught them the, the fear of the Lord. And because of this, God blessed Egypt because of Joseph. God blessed Babylon because of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Nebuchadnezzar, pagan emperor of Babylon, got saved because of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That the Lord is able to use you and work through you and, and will bless your family, will bless your home because of your faith. Don't be ashamed, but be bold. Bold as a, as a lion, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Fear the Lord. Speak of the Lord. Witness of the Lord. Show them the power of the Lord. Watch what the Lord can do to, to your family. The man believed and his whole house. Verse 54. Now, we talked about this before when we looked at the wedding of Cana, for example, where it says that this is the first of miracles, the first miracle that Jesus did. Look at this, verse 54. The healing of this nobleman's son. What does it say in verse 54? This is again the 
second miracle that Jesus did. The second miracle. First miracle, second miracle. What does that go to show? Can someone tell me what does that specifically refute? What does that specifically refute? What does that refute? Verse 54. This is the second miracle. You pair that with the other one about this is the first miracle. The first of miracles. Because there's an awful lot of different books and teachings and beliefs out there. The miracles that occurred when he was a child. That's right. The lost years of Jesus. The lost years of Jesus, the miracles that Jesus did when he was a boy, a little child and all that, that that is all apocryphal garbage. No such things happen. Uh, an awful lot of those things are written about the lost years of Jesus. They're actually written by uh, mystics, uh, the Gnostic mystics and all those different people who in their trances and visions and mediumship, that they are writing these uh, these lying garbage heresy books about the lost years of Jesus, all the miracles and the teach, teachings, the lost teachings of Jesus, the lost years of Jesus, the lost miracles. That's all garbage. None of that's real. None of that's true. None of that happened. There are no lost books of the Bible. There are no lost manuscripts. There's no lost texts. God says, I'll preserve my word unto all generations. Though the grass withers and the flowers fade, my word will stand forever. My word is above my very name. Not one jot, nor one tittle shall always pass from the word of the law to all be fulfilled. And if God said that, he then would be an absolute liar if he did not preserve his word to all generations. If there was any lost books, lost manuscripts, or lost texts, God's a liar. And God says, my word is above my very name. Okay, think about that one for a moment. How high and holy are the names of God? God says, my word is above my very name. God says that. So if God says, my word is above my very name, is he about to allow it to be lost, broken up, lost text, lost manuscripts, lost books, or whatever? Is he not going to then preserve it? No, he's going to preserve it. He says in Psalms chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, I'll preserve my word into all generations. So you see here, believing in, in the word, this is the second miracle. There are no lost years, no lost teachings, no lost doctrines, no lost miracles of Jesus. There's no such thing. This is, again, the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. All right. John chapter 4. So there you go, folks. I hope that was an encouragement and a blessing to you. Do you have, If you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, anything you'd like to mention on this, please go ahead, ask away. I'd be glad to hear from you. Uh, please make sure you go and check out um, uh, so, some of my other videos. I have, I have one on um, the Book of Enoch. I have one on explaining the Nephilim where I explain this whole thing about uh, about the twisting uh, of Scripture and the belief in lost books, lost manuscripts, 
lost articles, those kinds of things, and how that's all nonsense. It's untrue. There's no such thing. God says he'll preserve his word. He keeps his word. His word will show last the tests of time. It's preserved unto all generations. And that what we hold in our hands are copies of that which God said he preserved. Now, Jesus says, not one jot nor one tittle shall always pass from the word of the law. Now, what does that mean? Jot and tittle is yod and tittel, which is the Hebrew and the Greek. The smallest mark of the Hebrew, the smallest mark of the Greek, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. And Jesus says that the Hebrew and the Greek are preserved. So the, uh, not one jot, no one tittle shall always pass from the word of the law to all be fulfilled. But the Hebrew and the Greek manuscripts is what the word of God is preserved in. And from the Greek and Hebrew, we translate to English, French, German, Spanish, Russian, whatever. Now, the different languages of earth. God's word cannot be destroyed. It cannot be lost. It cannot be taken away. And that in Revelation, curses are upon anyone who would dare try to change, add, subtract, or, or, or monkey with the word of God. All the curses that are written in this book shall be cast upon the individual that would dare try to mess with the word of God. Now, there is the preserved word of God, but that does not then mean that the devil's not going to try. He's not going to try. No, he is. He's going to try. He's going to try to mess with the word of God to make people believe that there are contradictions and issues and problems and translation errors and all that kind of stuff by directly making, creating corrupted versions, which we do see. Like, for example, the vast majority of people will believe that, that the message version is an absolutely corrupted, horrible translation. It's not, I don't even call it a Bible. It is absolutely disgusting. There will be attempts so that they will deliberately rewrite the Bible, try to rewrite the Bible as the way they feel it should be, changing the text, changing the context, omitting verses, and, and, and completely corrupted translations. And that's why people believe that there are contradictions in the Bible, because, well, they create contradictions in a lot of the modern versions. Seriously. So... We got to be very, very, very careful about uh, about how we approach the scriptures. God says that He'll preserve it. Now, actually, just for fun, I'm going to now um, share some of the verses that prove this. I've done this before. I'm going to do it again. Isaiah chapter forty, verse eight: The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Psalms 12, 6 and 7, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Psalms 138, verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. That's what it says. Psalms 100 verse 5. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth unto all generations. There it is again. Psalms 119, 152. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Psalms 119, 160. 
Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Matthew 5.18 For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jar or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Luke 16.19 It is easier for heaven and earth to pass than for one tittle of the law to fail. So with that then, are there lost texts, lost manuscripts, are there contradictions in the word of God? No. No, there are not. Because God is not a liar. God cannot lie. No, in him is no shadow of turning. In him is no darkness. In, he gives us not the spirit, uh, spirit of fear, or he's not the author of confusion. God, what God says, he's going to do, whether we like it or not. So if God says this is what it is, then that is what it is. And if there are contradictions in someone's Bible, then that Bible is a translation that was monkeyed with, that was created by man's opinion in an attempt to try to rewrite what God has preserved. If you go back to the original Hebrew and Greek, you'll see that there are no contradictions in the text. Take your Bible and Google up Hebrew interlinear Bible. And that's for the Old Testament. Greek interlinear Bible. For the New Testament. And open your Bible and read along. You'll see what it and they have it'll have an immediate English translation of the Greek and Hebrew. And you can read through and you see what it says. Just saying, check it out, do the study, be a Berean, search it out, see if these things are so. This is what God says. Can God lie? No. So then where we don't understand, we have to just say, look, God said it, so that's what it is. So there you go. I hope this has been a help and a blessing to you. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. So we'll wrap that up there then, folks. Thank you so much for joining in. I hope this has been a blessing. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. If you like this study, please give it a like. Give it a thumbs up. And make sure you subscribe. Hit the notification bell icon. See when we put up new videos. And make sure you check out all our other platforms. And, and uh, uh, you can find it through our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. christiancoffeetime.ca. And make sure you check out all our other uh, playlists on our channel here. we got tons and tons and tons of content and tons of stuff. They're covering many doctrines and topics and questions and, and studies. Make sure you check that out. And I hope it's a blessing to you. So God bless you, folks. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.